You're an all-star, get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star, get the show on, get paid. Welcome to another episode of the NRL All-Stars Podcast. This is Barnsley here for the last podcast episode of the 2022 season. Supercoach wrapped up oh, five, six weeks ago now. Uh, so that was all done and dusted, but we've had the talk and footy going every week since. This is the last one. So we're oh, about two weeks away from the grand final. It hasn't even been two weeks. You know, it's been like 10 days or something. And... I have to say, I feel like it's been about two years. I can't believe how long ago the grand final feels like, uh, but probably not for Penrith fans. They're probably still celebrating. But for this episode and the final one of the year, we've got a lot of juicy stuff to cover in rugby league to take us all through it, to have a chat to me about it. We've got Matty Person back on board. Perso, last last episode of the season, mate. Glad that you could make it for us. Uh, always good to be on the pod. It, um... Just, it's the gift that never ends up giving, does it? The old NRL. Like you said, it does feel like a month ago the grand final was played, but geez, it's been just every day something else happening in the news. But um, I'm sure we've got plenty to cover. There is a huge amount to cover, and I almost considered just running through the entire off-season with podcasts, but unfortunately I do need a small break. Uh, it is only going to be about two months' break, so certainly when we hit December I'll be looking at the podcast relaunch for the 2023 season. Also look out for the Supercoach pre-season episodes. This year, I think it was about the second week of December, I think Supercoach dropped their team picker. And that was uh, really, really big because it was about two weeks earlier than normal. So certainly in December, I expect that to drop. And once it does, we'll start getting the episodes rolling for the pre-season and also get the talking footy back on track as well with the off-season ramping up. But for this final 2020 season, 20, uh, 2020, for this final 2022 season episode, first thing off the rank is going to be the NRL Grand Final. Now, like we said, it was only 10 days ago. Feels like forever ago. And it was, I guess, one of those ones per se. Like, just before we dive into the numbers and performances and everything else, I was really looking forward to this grand final. Like, I thought it was going to be an absolute belter. I did give the Eels a puncher's chance. I thought that if anyone could beat Penrith, they were one of the couple of teams that I thought could do it. And I was just really up for it. You know, the Battle of the West, I liked the way that Parramatta was playing. Penrith well-deserved to be there. It just seemed great. And then probably the first 10 or 15 minutes, it, it was pretty good. And I sort of thought, yeah, it's laying a bit of a platform, the old Ford cliche of laying the platform for a big game. And then it just fizzled. And it's weird for me, per se, because I, you know, normally when a grand final fizzles a little bit or you, you don't really love it or it doesn't hit expectations, it's because one team just isn't up to scratch at all. I don't want to talk about the other Rival leagues, so I'll just say that the um, the acronym for it starts with an A and ends <laughs> yeah. with an L and there's an F in the middle. But, you know, uh, when you lose terrible. it by 100 points in the first <laughs> half, you know, it's, it's done and dusted. That's a terrible grand final, you know. When a team doesn't turn up um, or when neither team turns up and it's just a bit of a bludger, you know, none of these things happen, but I just feel like I'm really, I was really deflated about it. You know, the first half, Penrith played probably the best half of footy that I've seen them ever play. Parramatta, I couldn't really fault. I thought that they tried really hard and they only had 35% possession in the first half and they tackled and defended really well. You know, like it was just, I, I couldn't really fault Parramatta's effort either, but it just 
wasn't a good grand final. And it's it's a bit of a weird feeling afterwards for me. Yeah, it was sort of... I, To be honest, I kind of expected the result, but not the way it happened. I thought that, that Penrith had run away with it in the sort of last 20 minutes for the similar sort of scoreline. I, I thought the first half would um, be really, really tight and Parra could have even gone into to halftime leading. That, that that was what I sort of predicted of the game. But I just I always thought Penrith were going to be too good to come over the top. But they were just so uh, clinical. I, I had a little um, grand final barbecue at my place with a couple of boys I've known for 30 years, I've grown up to school with and sitting there watching it. And mate said to me, five minutes in, he goes, oh, that's on here. This is going to be a great game. And then Penrith just went boom clicked another gear and just so clinical and just sort of paramount couldn't go with them. And as you said, that I, and I know Cleary and that, Ivan Cleary and that kind of, so that's probably the best, uh, most thorough first clinical game they can come off the third and say we couldn't have gone any better and they couldn't have. They were just absolutely clinical. Just uh, paramount didn't have a chance and a lot of people would be kind of, oh, paramount choked. It's a lot of, Crap, they, they were up for the game. They were playing well. Penrith just blew them off the park. Simple as that. Yeah, and I, I really, I'm really not on board with um, the pile on Parramatta. Like, they got to a grand final. Now everyone sort of went, you know, the monkey on their back is that they, they don't progress. They're always out in straight sets. You know, they, they don't get to grand finals. They got there, you know, and they played the, the heavy favourite. 28 to 12, it's not a flattering scoreline. And they did score a couple of tries, you know, at the death. But at the end of the day, you know, they there's no way they didn't turn up. I don't buy that narrative at all. I thought the first half, I actually thought they were exceptional when you consider the circumstances. Like there were times there where the Fords were having to tackle for five sets in a row in that first half. And it was after that softening up period in the first 10, 15. So I just saw guys like Paul Barlow and, Regan Campbell, Gillard, and and so forth. I just thought they were going to be gone because Penrith kept going back to the middle under the sticks too. I thought they were gone, um, but credit to them. Like they kept just hanging on, and you could see how much they were having to put in and how they really did have to step up another level, Parramatta. And I thought they did because all they could do was defend. Because again, like you said, Penrith was so clinical. There was nothing they could do. They didn't have the ball. Like, I think the first, if you take out the first 15 minutes, I, I think the possession was more like 24% or something to Parramatta for the last 25 minutes of that first half, you know, and you just can't do anything against anyone like that. So to only be down 18-0, and I actually thought they were going to go into the break 12-0 down. And I was saying to the people I was yep. watching with, like, if they go in 12-0 down here, this possession is going to swing right around and Brad Arthur can put a rocket up them at the half. And if they come out firing... We, we could still have a game here, despite how dominant Penrith have been. Because normally in footy games, you see that possession. It never stays like that. You never stay at 35% possession, especially in a grand final. So I gave him every hope. But the, the backbreaker was really, um, when they got that third try for Scott Sorensen, um, I, I thought that was a bit bit hard. Um, but then I still thought, look, if they come out and score first, it's still only 12 points. Brian Tyers tried to kill them, 45th minute, five minutes in the second half. That just destroyed Parramatta. I, yeah. I thought the, the game was basically over then, which is what I was so disappointed about because we basically got half a game of the grand final and you know the result now. There's no way that, that can be run down. But, yeah, again, I couldn't fault Parramatta, but Penrith, I have not seen a, a better, more clinical first half of footy either. So, again, weird per se because both teams played well. Um, it was just a, a bit of a fizzer. 
But when we're looking at the stats, there's some real extraordinary ones to take out of this one. Um, and look, there's some real obvious ones as well. Um, so, like, for example, you know, we did have the the possession even up a little bit. So when you're having a look at it, Parramatta got back to 44%. Um, or, or, yeah, 44% on their possession. Um, so they, you know, obviously had a big jump in the second half. The completion rates, when you're talking about clinical, though, Penrith at 86% completion rate in the grand final. You know, that that really says it. Parramatta only yeah. 70%. I think that's a bit unfortunate because the second half, they yeah, kind of threw it around a lot and at, stuff. And at the back, around. yeah, as Exactly saying at the back end, that's probably been depleted a little bit because their completion rate was pretty bloody good too in that first half. It, mm, like, it was, it at, was the, at the back end of the game when the game was gone, they'd thrown it around. So that completion rate's kind of a little bit uh, jeopardised by that. But yeah, like, as you said, eighty-six percent Penrith. And the, like the run meters and the post contact meters, like seven hundred thirty-six post contact for Panthers versus five twenty-one for the Eels. Mm. Like that just shows how they just kept going and going and going, didn't they? Ah, oh, phenomenal. It, it's And you can look at the stats as much as you want, but you look at like the start of that game, Moses Leota was an absolute weapon in that first 20 minutes. Mm. Now, you read his stats, I think he ran for 90 metres in the game, 32 post contact metres and made 20 tackles. But that first 20 minutes, he dominated that game. He was phenomenal with the ball in it and without the ball. He was hitting. He was just like, everywhere. And like, it's... Uh, <laughs> Fisher Harris is their alpha, but that's and he had a blinder as well. But that's sort of like you got Leota. Like, it was just that's where they just dominated. They were just up for it, and they, they blew them off the park. That's uh, the first five minutes. It was even, and then they just hit another gear. And it was and Leota was a massive part of that. Like, that first twenty minutes of the game, he was absolutely phenomenal. And it's important to mention that because guys like him don't get the accolades they deserve. Like everyone will talk about Cleary and some of the other star names, but it's these role yeah, players. And he won't take the stat have. boxes. No, he won't. Like you'll look at the stats and it won't really shine compared to others, but he he had an immense impact. And that's one of the things that I think people forget with Penrith that they've done really well. They've gotten a lot of really good role players, which is why they've been able to put together the team they have in the salary cap era. Um, and and Leota's one of them. He was outstanding. Uh, even guys like Spencer Lenu, who plays limited oh, minutes. Scotty Sorensen got that try that as bench. well. Sorensen and Lenu off the bench for Penrith is just... It's so underrated what they do off the bench, those two guys, in the limited time that they have on the field. Yeah. And, look, it's... Obviously, the stars did shine too. So, when we're having a look at it, the Clive Churchill men, medalist, Dylan Edwards, 28 mm-hmm. runs... Two offloads, a line break, nine tackle breaks, three line break assists and a try assist, uh, no errors, no penalties conceded. You know, like it was a pretty dominant performance, a workman performance, but that's what they needed. Um, and even there are other big guns too, like Isaiah Yo, 21 runs, 36 tackles, really involved in a lot of that um, first phase play as well. Um, James Fisher-Harris, 32 runs, uh, 32 tackles, 20 runs. You know, all the workers got in there and worked. And obviously Cleary um, was, I think, a little bit quieter than what people expected as well. Um, but then he kind of stood up to himself and had some big plays. It was just, it was a great team effort, I think, um, from Penrith. Whereas when you're having a look at the Eels, it was really about the Fords for me because for the Eels, unfortunately, they just didn't have much ball in that first half. So guys like... 
Gutherson, Moses and Brown in particular were just taken out of the game. You know, like that's uh, basically the game was over in that first half or that first forty-five minutes, and Moses and Brown just had no opportunity at all. Uh, but then I thought that some of the forwards are really courageous. So Madison, twenty runs, three offloads, forty-four tackles in sixty minutes. You know, he he really tried his guts out. Um, I thought Sebo uh, at times this year has been, and certainly the last three years, one of the things that's happened with him, he's gone missing a bit and been a bit lazy. He he's opening especially. He was taking a huge amount of hit-ups for them. Ended up with 17 runs, um, and he really, I, I thought, put in. Um, Papa Lee, 14 runs, four offloads with a try assist and 48 tackles. Like, when you're talking about how some of these forwards had to work, 48 mm. tackles for him. Uh, absolutely massive. So, And you look at Lane as well, was right up with tackles. That was a ploy in the Panthers um, game. They ran a lot of ball towards Papa Lee and Lane to nullify, wear them out, basically. They both made a ridiculous amount of tackles. Yeah, and both Lane and Papa Lee as well, um, in that first final that they played these two, I did think that those were going to be the, the areas that uh, Penrith could be troubled. I thought the Parramatta edges could strike and offload and run the lines that are going to trouble them. And I actually thought that they did a little bit this game. Like there was a couple of little half breaks and things from Papa Lee in particular, and also Lane looked a bit dangerous a couple of times too. It almost happened for them as well. So, look, Glenn Gutherson tried his heart out too, 20 runs, couldn't really do much with the ball. Um, but Brian Toto, can we just have a chat about him for a minute? <laughs> 300 run metres, three line breaks, um, absolutely just destroyed the game. And he he wasn't quite there. But geez, he, he what if he scores one more try per so and has one more big play? Is he is he going to be one of the first wingers that gets the Clive Churchill medal? He's the closest winger that's ever going to come to winning the Clive Churchill. If Edwards didn't have the game that he had, and like you said, that with the one try assist, but he had a hand in two of the other tries as well. Edwards was phenomenal. But um, yeah, <laughs> but how much better is he on the left edge? Like I know uh, Talamay's come through there and. So Tyler's gone to the right and he does his thing, but when, he, when he's on the left edge, he's just so dominant. Yeah, I think that they really have to look at it because Toto is too talented uh, for them to just shunt him away onto the less dominant edge. Uh, I just don't think it works. And like there was, it was just you could see it in that game, and you've been able to see it multiple times now. He actually had a quiet season, I thought, compared to his other seasons. But uh, this final series, he's absolutely killed it. Nine. Nine tackle breaks to go along with his three line breaks and his two tries. And he was just outstanding. He didn't miss a tackle, didn't make an error, didn't concede a penalty. Basically, a perfect winger's game. That's sort of a, a, a buy into the system that they've got there, though, at the parent, isn't it? Because when he's on the right edge, he doesn't get as involved as much as he's on the left edge. So he just does his job, does his role, does what he's called. That's why he sort of looked like he's a bit quieter this year compared to last year. But as soon as they put him back on the left edge, and he just explodes again in the same way he did last year. So it, it, it's a really good system they've got there. All the players buy into it. Whether they there's, there's no one trying to be a superstar. It's just you do it. Like he gets nowhere near as much ball. So he, he'll get a bit of flack about not being as good as he was last year. But then as soon as you throw him back on the left edge, he goes straight back in the same way he was last year. And he's just a dominant. Hundred percent. Um, we do need to dissect where to from here for these two teams is our next topic. Uh, let's start off with the Parramatta Eels. 
So obviously getting to the grand final was huge, but Parramatta fans have felt quite deflated from the result. Next year, you know, there, there's some changes. Reed Marnie's going. Oh, I didn't think that he had a great season anyway, but their replacement is Hodgson coming in, who is obviously coming off an ACL. And at his age, it's going to be quite questionable. Um, but Papali'i is going to be a massive loss for them. And I don't know how they're going to replace that really. So yeah, is Parramatta going to be back up for it next year? Uh, where do we really see them? Because at the moment, you kind of think that they should be contending again based on the season they had and how they kind of got the confidence to get through to the grand final. But uh, when you're having a look at Papali'i in particular going and maybe some of these other teams being a bit better, I think they. I actually think they, they can still be a top four side next year, and, and be in the mix. Um, I do think I, I do worry a little bit for them that they could go out early in the finals again, and then people are going to jump on the old narrative. And I think that that might be a bit unfair, but it's probably where I can see them. I think they're going to lose a bit at nine, and but that that edge you, they cannot. It's great that they locked up Lane. But even Nakore is gone now too for him as a bit of depth. And but that edge that. Oh, it is. And probably and Nakore both gone. You know, and Nakore was starting for Madison a lot of the time, which I didn't like, but ended up working for them. I mean, where do you see Parramatta going in 2023 now? To be honest, that was the, the you know, what it's like with the salary cap and you get the windows and everything else. Oh, I think Parramatta had their window open for the last year and this year. They got to the grand final this year. It'd be very, like, they're not going to drop out of the eight, but I'd, I think their window is closing on the roster that they've got. I mean, Marnie is a massive loss, massive loss. Not stats-wise as much, but just his service. Like He's probably got the best, cleanest service ever done in half. Just ball playing, not running. That's uh, going to be a massive loss for them. I mean, they're getting Josh Hodgson to replace him. Like, there's a lot. Like, he, he's a fantastic player, but I mean, he was probably playing his best football in 2016. He's had a lot of, of um, injuries, coming off an ACL again, played 30 minutes this year, uh, did his ACL. So uh, that's the replacement for money. There's got to be a lot of question marks about that. Buffalo has been absolutely massive for him the last two seasons. What he brings on on that edge is just phenomenal. And like Nick Corey, massively underrated what he does. Everything he does is quality. Whether they throw him in the centres, he just dominates. He, he plays 15 minutes to start at lock and then Madison comes on. He, everything he does is is, is massive. Uh, I think this year was probably their window, but they just happened to come up to a a, <laughs> a, a dynasty Panthers, sort of, basically. So, I mean, as a long-suffering Tigers fan, I, I sort of um, really lost... Two preliminary finals in 10 and 11. I think Parramatta's in that same sort of boat. That was sort of their opportunity. I think it's gone. I, I can't see them improving next year. No. Uh, and it's. It, I think it'll be unfair of fans to expect them to improve. I, I think if they're in the top four, they've, they've done pretty well and the Parramatta fans should be pretty happy. And they've got uh, a and... lot of players coming off contract too, that haven't committed to the club and are available agents for 24 on November 1. Yeah, and that's going to be interesting too because, like, I think they've invested heavily in keeping the majority of that spine. Like, the reason they're losing people like Papa Lee uh, is because Clint Gutherson had to be re-signed not long ago. Um, Dylan Brown and now Moses 
Um, Those short rounded both off contracts. So, you know, I think they put money away to be able to give those those guys their money. And I think that they want their six, seven, and one to stay. I think they will. I think all those will stay. Um, but, you know, it's going to be at the sacrifice of the other parts of their team. Penrith Panthers aren't in a dissimilar boat, really. Uh, and I'm going to be super controversial with this one for 2023. I don't think Penrith will be anywhere near as dominant as they were the last two years. And I'm going to say that because of a couple of reasons. Um, Happy Coruscant. Happy Coruscant is a massive loss. And I just cannot get around some of the replacements. Like you know, Mitch Kenny, I, I don't see it. Uh, I don't even understand how he was starting games. And then there was other times where, you know, people are talking about some of the young kids coming through. They're, they're not proven. They're going to come into a good system, but they're not going to be anywhere near Happy Coruscant. You know, that's a huge loss. The loss yes. that nobody's talking about per se, though, is Kikau. And, you know, people say, oh, yeah, Kikau's gone. I don't think it'll matter. I think it matters heaps from a football perspective. What he does for them, that whole left edge functions just because Kikau's there. He doesn't even need to get the ball. Like, the amount of times... It's not just a big blade that runs a good line on that edge. His silky skills with the ball. Like, yeah. Luke Garner's his replacement. And, like, Luke Garner, that's the thing. Like, Luke Garner... He can run a good line, Luke Garner. Don't get me wrong, but he's nowhere near the ball skills that Kikau's got. Yeah, and look, one of the things is that Kikau just being there and, and running, when he doesn't get the ball and it goes out the back, or yeah, when Kikau ball plays... Targo and May have gotten some easy meat. They've gotten some really easy tries and really easy attacking opportunities that they're not going to get now because nobody's going to hang off Luke Garner or be worried or no, double up or triple up on Luke Garner. So the defence isn't caught in two minds. Yeah, exactly right. And and Luai, like, Luai is never going to understand until this season kicks off next year how good he's had it having kick out there. And I think that Luai is in for a real down season because I think the kick out is going to really, really hurt him not being there because people are really going to aim up on him. You know, Luai likes to talk a lot and stuff and everything. Some people like it, some don't. But one of the things that happens is you don't get people shooting out of the line and hitting too much because they're too worried about kick out. And they now they can't afford to do it. They can't afford to. Now they can. Um, and, you know, so I just think that whole left is going to be in a bit of trouble, really. And then, obviously, you know, we're not even talking about the strike that Kikau presents when he's actually barging over the line or barging through. He had a fantastic season, and the first half in particular, I think, is the best he's ever played. You know, I just... I think it's an immense loss that's being really understated. And then that you've got someone like... I felt like the Panthers' bench the last year has gotten a bit thinner. And then someone like Scott uh, Sorensen is going to be gone. And we saw how impactful he was in that in that grand final. And again, you know, you bring up young guys to replace these guys. I, I'm not saying that Penrith are going to be bad by any means. I don't want to comment on social media. Or oh, not Penrith at all. are still going to be good. You know, they're still going to be up next year. You know, that's it's yeah. I, I see exactly where you're coming from, and they've got a, a plethora of juniors coming through. But if they finish fourth next year, it's not going to surprise. Oh, I think it'll be a massive surprise to a lot of rugby league fans. So, like, I think people just think that they're just going to go on, and they're already anointing them with this oh, dynasty that's going to go for you know. You hit the nail on grand the grand finals. Coruscant, that is a humongous loss for them. It really is. Like all credit to Mitch Kenny. Like he's a good, he's an aggressive, good defensive hooker, but. Coruscant's running game and what he picks up and what he gives their service at a dummy half and what he opens up to the middle, he's second to none. He's the best in the 
in the competition at that. I mean, you, you, <laughs> you, I wish Manly would had a scene of in foresight if um, Manu hadn't done what he'd done, but they let they let Kaiso go because they had Fanusi Manu come through and everyone saw what happened with that and they've struggled ever since. But then he went back to Penrith and Penrith just won two comps. So Corso was an absolute gun hooker. And just his space and time that he gives out a dummy half is phenomenal. It's a huge loss. Yeah, it is a massive loss. And so is Kikia, so is Sorensen. But I still think they'll be good. But, you know, it's just how good's good. You know, is it going to be as dominant as the last two years? I don't think so. Uh, and I think that there's potential with teams like the Roosters to go a bit better than what they did this year uh, and sort of play the whole season like they did the, the last sort of half of the season. And, and some other teams that are up and comers too to maybe, you know, bridge the gap a little bit as well. So, yeah, oh, look, I'm not going to ride off Penrith or anything. It wouldn't be surprised me if they get to another grand final next year. But I actually don't think they'll win it next year. Um, it's it's one of those things too, when you're looking at the personnel and the changes and stuff, they're going to be weaker than what they have been for a few years. But the other thing is as well, when you look through history, there's not many teams that go back to back as it is. You know, the last team was the Roosters and before that it was quite a while before in the NRL era. Um, we're talking about in the 90s and Listen. nobody goes three in a row. It, it just doesn't happen. So if they do it, it's going to be a massive credit to the Penrith Panthers. But it just goes to show how hard it is to do. Like you're talking about the, you know, before the NRL era and you're talking about those uh, crazy Dragons team runs of the 60s and stuff and all that sort of thing, you know, which you don't get in the modern era and the salary cap era. And I just don't think that they can do it. Um, it's it's just one of those things that hasn't been done in the NRL era and I don't think it's something that's going to be easy for them at all when you consider the roster changes they're going to have too. Oh, yeah, it won't happen. It's um, you're going back to when everyone had a second job. That they played footy on the weekend. It was like playing club footy back in those days when teams got on those sort of roles. Uh, I 100% agree. I think uh, Penrith might be bad by any means next year. They'll be one of the marquee teams to keep. Well, they're the new storm, basically. They'll be up there every year, especially their junior system has come through and what they've won this year. But and having Cleary in the side, like, is always going to oh, put them into contention. Like, he's arguably the best but, player in the competition. That's no, always going to put them in contention as a halfback. If they finish fourth next year, that, you know, that's a decent season from the players they're losing. So one of the byproducts of this Panthers dynasty and their success and also this grand final is that it has come up after the grand final that there's some things that left a bit of a sour taste in people's mouths. Um, certainly... They've been criticised as bad winners. That's come up a lot. Uh, and, you know, different, multiple things. I, I think one of the things that stood out for me uh, was when, you know, they will bring up Parramatta in their speeches and stuff after the grand final was done and stuff and they'd won, you know. it's And obviously the Luai stuff, you know, and, you know, I have to say, look, I don't think, I don't think Luai's the worst in the world and I don't think the stuff that he does is the worst in the world and you can do it. And I'm not going to, you know, say it's, you know, he should be out of the league or something or suspended or anything. You can do it. But at the same time, I'd also agree that it's not the best, you know, and I just don't see the need. Like I kind of see the need in the game. Sometimes you get yourself pumped up. Some guys need that. They need to get the aggression. They need to, you know, have the passion out there and that gets them to the performance level that they need. But when you're talking about after a game, you know, I, I just, I am a big believer 
And I used to see it all the time as well. You know, you used to, when you could fight back in the day, you used to have some absolute bloodbaths where, you know, fights on the field and stuff and everything. But as soon as that siren went, you know, you you respected everyone, you shook hands and you would even have a beer with people afterwards and stuff, you know, and that's kind of part of it. Like I'm, I'm a bit old school. I much prefer that. I much prefer that than the showboating afterwards. And I certainly much prefer that than bad mouthing, you know, the losing team in a grand final after you've won it. You know, I, I just think it's a bit poor form. Now, is it the worst thing in the world? No. Do they deserve all the headlines? No, not really. But, you know, you're going to get those headlines if you do act out a little bit like that. And guys like Lou, I do. So, I mean, it, it, I think they need to accept it a little bit if they're going to act like that. And it's not ideal. I think you nailed it on the head. It is what it is. It's just that generation now, isn't it? Like, um, that's a little bit of banter. They call it, call it banter. I mean, he did, to his credit, Lou, he did call it before the game and then they won it and then they got there and carries on. He had all that social media flack. Like, is it necessary? Probably not. <laughs> like, is it, is it going to enhance his career? But uh, he seems to have owned it and gone with it. And, you know, it's not really mine. I don't. I don't like it particularly. I think it's just uh, unnecessary attention to the game for things that we should be not looking at. But <laughs> it is what it is. That's what the generation is these days. They, they grow up on social media and phones and it's all about banter and you say this and you say that and, you know, you back it up and, yeah, I'm the man. And, you know, they've won two comps. Good luck to them. You can say what he wants. But you know what? It's it's a very American sports thing, and over there it's you know mm. celebrated. And I think that some of the young guys here that watch the American sports and stuff 100% have right. that sort of attitude, but they don't understand that Australian culture doesn't take kindly to it. You know, we nah. we don't like completely ego. different. We culture. don't like individuals. We don't. We like team effort, good winners, good sport. You know, put it all in type of stuff, and it just it, it doesn't. It grates a little bit. And the, whether you agree with it's right or wrong, that's going to be the case. So it's up to the Penrith Panthers to decide as a club and certainly as a playing group and certainly as individuals, you know, do do we want this extra headache? Do we want to act like this? Do we need to act like this? What are we getting out of this? You know, what? why? And yeah. to me, it just it puts a, more of a target on them. And again, like you look at even when you're playing park footy and stuff, when guys would act like that, you go out of your way to belt the crap out of them. And you go out of your way... <laughs> Just to go for them, you know. We used to have a, a, we used to have a special move, and it wasn't a special move. You know, everyone used to have their moves that had these weird names and stuff. We had one called Spear, and Spear just meant make sure you cover the defensive line because the bloke that's called it's going to go out and absolutely annihilate whatever number he's called. You know, Spear Seven or whoever, and it's just it's always going to be that Luai guy <laughs> that they're going to kill. You know, and it just puts a lot of pressure on you. Like they've had the success now, right? Okay, but. They're putting pressure on themselves. They're going to be a bit weaker next year. If they keep acting like that and they do cop a little bit or they are giving the other team that bit extra aggression, you know, what does that do for you? I I just don't see the upside of doing it and I just don't see why. Um, but the thing that really sticks out for me is I really don't like having a go at teams after a grand final like that or even mentioning it or even joking about that sort of stuff. I just think it's poor form. And I'll go on and say, you know, we're talking about against other teams. I think it's poor for fans as well, you know, and it just, it really does great on fans when you're turning around and saying the Parramatta Eels are, 
as a you know as a club where you know where they're big daddy and stuff and all these type of things after you've won a yeah. grand final that the fans feel like shit as it is you know I like want to find that a bit weird to be honest Barnes because there's a lot of paramount around our sons you know the, I don't know where they're coming from with that banner and that generation, but it just seems a little bit weird to me. <laughs> but the other thing that it does, and we'll finish off on this, because, again, it's not the biggest thing in the world, but it's made a lot of coverage and stuff, is, it, like, as a fan, I, I had no one in the grand final, and I, I want to celebrate and love the winner. You know, I admire the Penrith Club. I, lo- I, I think they're a fantastic football team, but I can't get around, like, loving them, you know, and Penrith might not care, and that's fine. But there are teams that will get to a grand final and win it, and the other 16 supporter bases will love them for it and celebrate that grand final win and think it's great. Not everyone's doing that with Penrith. And, again, if, if that's what Penrith want, if that's what the players want, okay, it's your choice. But don't whinge when, you know, you've got me on social media and, and there's sections of the rugby league community that don't like you because this is why, and you've kind of brought a lot of it on yourself. Uh, I just sort of think that you want everyone on board. Um, but anyway, let's move along. Um, talk about signing news. Hunt and Munster. Interesting. They both stayed. And for Ben Hunt, I think a lot of people... As expected, really, if you look. Yeah, there's there a lot of people that came out surprised about Hunt. And I really wasn't, well, like, you know. I, a 900k year, it's, that's really fair. Like, I actually made the comment that was controversial per se where I said I actually think it's overs like as good as he's played mm. he's he's going to be 33 when the next season starts I well, think he's on 1.1 now and he was coming off and he asked for 850 and they first lowballed him said no to that so mm. he wasn't asking for more than what he was like he realized that he'd already had his career um career signing and didn't want to go anywhere He's coming off probably a career year, arguably. Like, he was phenomenal this season. He wasn't asking for more. He was asking for less and lay board, and then it comes out and they get him for that. And you know, I think that's a fantastic deal for both player and club. Yeah, I do as well. Um, and, look, I think it's very fair. And the other thing, too, with Hunt is where was he going to go? Like, what team? And this was my point all along when people mm. were saying 700K is low balling and, it's, <sighs> you know, slapping the face. So he's, he's going to be 33 when he starts his contract. Yeah. Uh, he's just had a great year, sure. But if Hunt's not in the team, how much better than 12th are they? Yeah, maybe 10th. You know, what, what's the oh. big difference, you know? Uh, and Hunt, Hunt's had a great year. He's a very good player. You do want to keep him. But, yeah, end of the day, I don't think anyone else could afford to buy him. And then you've got to go down and look at, well, which teams actually need a halfback? There wasn't that many. So I don't think that he was going to get 900K from anyone. So he's gotten the best deal for himself. Good on him. He's staying and he wants to... And and that's the thing, like he, people are having a go at Hunt for staying when the Dragons aren't really looking like they're going anywhere. But you know, they, you've got to admire someone that just that wants to stick at one club. I don't even think that he wanted to leave Brisbane. I think he was kind of pushed out there and had no choice. There's nothing wrong with wanting to stay at a club and try and get them as best as you can. And, and I think that that's quite admirable that Hunt's wanted to stay and not move on because he could have very well gone to someone like the Dolphins and maybe oh. they could have paid him the money. But and, at the end of the day, he probably would have had less success at the Dolphins considering his age and everything and how long the contract is. So I, I thought it was great for both. Um, Munster, I was a bit surprised um, as well, I have to say. I wasn't surprised about Hunt. I was a bit more surprised about Munster only because of the price difference per se. He's taken $4 million from the Melbourne Storm over four years. He's leaving 1.6 on the table. The Dolphins offered him 5.6 million. I just thought that that would have been 
there would have been an amount for someone like Munster at the stage of his career that he's had where it would have just been too much money to say no to. There's more to it than that. Um, He's still getting played pretty handsomely for Melbourne. And uh, he's settled there now. He's just had a kid, his wife and family, he's all happy there. You're in a club where you're going to be in the semifinals every year. Is it really going to make that much of a difference? Do you really want to go and have that stress of being a marquee player? It, it mostly doesn't strike me as that kind of guy that wants to be in the media all the time. So he goes up there, he's, he's like the marquee player, he's in the media all the time. They win or lose, it's his problem, whether it is or not. You know what I mean? He's in the media all the time. You're going to be losing. And to Melbourne's credit, they've kept that whole spine together. Yeah. I, I watched a lot of, I watched a lot of negotiation. Well, not so much negotiation, but you watch because his uh, manager is Brad and Nasta. So you watch that on 360 through the year. And there was a lot of things he picked up through there when he was talking. I didn't think he was ever going to leave Melbourne. Brave to sort of say things with it's getting, we're getting closer, getting closer to what we need, not going to and all that sort of stuff. So it, it did not surprise me at all that he's re-signed there. And that's Melbourne has re-signed the whole spine. So it also, like Bellamy is apparently supposed to be his last year next year. I don't think it will be. He'll keep going. I think that would have had a massive part in it as well. Yeah, that's true as well. Um, and I, look, I'm sure that it did. Like, I'm sure that that did have a massive part in it with what Bellamy's doing. I guess it, I just thought that it was a good offer from the Dolphins. Um, I understand why he stayed. 100% agree that Melbourne deserve a lot of credit because they could have easily lost Grant, Hughes and Munster. They could have lost all three of those players very easily. And I think that they knew that it was a danger um, that they could have. And keeping them together, you know, that keeps Melbourne well in contention again, having those three in that spine. Um, having those four in that spine, I should say, geez, one of the strongest spines, spines in the league. But also on that, look, they got no one else, have they? They haven't landed anyone else, the Dolphins. So that's a massive step for someone like Munster to go and be the guy. Yeah, you know what I thought it was, though? Like, I thought that maybe he... I get what you're saying about not wanting the media attention and stuff, but I also kind of sometimes sense that Munster has the attitude where he's been at Melbourne his whole life, he's achieved everything there. And I sort of think that maybe he's got the attitude sometimes that maybe he's he wants to step up and, and be the man. Maybe he'd like to be the face of a franchise. Yeah, 100%. Um, and he's... Because everything that's happened there, he's had Cronk, Smith, Slater, all those guys. So he's got the chance now to step up at Melbourne and be the guy and win premierships as the guy. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, it's... It's great that he's staying for Melbourne Storm fans. Um, I I think that the other thing was the connection with the other Melbourne boys that are going across might have swayed him. But, look, I, I have to say I was quite surprised at Wayne Bennett's little outburst on it because oh, yeah. it was, look, in a way, it's kind of classic Wayne these days because whenever anything doesn't go his way, he seems to have a real old man whinge. And I guess you could say that he's earned it because he is a real old man <laughs> and he's been in the game for a long time. And he's also, you know, he's seen a lot and he's earned a lot of respect. So he's I guess he can make comments like that if he wants. But it's 
to, to whinge about Munster, basically. To me, it was just a dummy spit that Munster said that he wasn't going to come. Yeah, that's all it seemed to come down to. And I just thought, yeah, it is a bit Wayne Bennett, but I kind of prefer he wasn't like that these days, especially for the Dolphins. Like, you know, he should have just come out and said nothing really or just, you know, well, you know, we did our best and we offered, you know, what we thought was competitive, well done to Cameron and, you know, it's obviously hard to pull anyone away from the storm. Best of luck, you know, coach him in the origin side two years ago. Like, what? Yeah, but he's steady has a crack at him about not being a man and stuff. It's just... Uh, I, I think Wayne's starting to move to that territory now where he needs to be a bit careful with... I think that he thinks that he can say what he wants because of his stature in the game and he's not going to burn anything. But if he keeps saying this sort of stuff and it's, he's, got, he's starting to get a track record of it a little bit, he's going to burn some bridges and stuff because I wouldn't take that too kindly if I was Munster and especially when you respect someone like Wayne Bennett so much. I would not be surprised if, if Munster was a bit dirty about those comments. Oh, it's fairly poor form. Like, uh, Bennett's the master manipulator when it comes to the media and that sort of stuff. So you can see where he's, what narrative he's trying to create and that sort of stuff. But um, I think he's fairly a bit out of line with that. It's, it's not really, it's not helping uh, the Dolphins by him coming out and doing that. It's. <laughs> and it's know, not a reason why they missed out either. Like, I mean, just. 100% it's not. Just, as, as if he hasn't done the same thing a thousand times himself with players. He's saying, oh, I'm going to re-sign you, but, and then, no, no, we're not. No, mm. so. uh, it's, it is poor form, and it's a bit of a shame. Uh, but look, well done to the Dragons in Melbourne. Those were two marquee free agents that were left, and, and they're now gone and locked up. Uh, we've talked about the NRL grand final and those two teams in detail. We've also talked about uh, a couple of the big signings that have just happened post-grand final. We need to mention the NRLW Grand Final now because that was a maiden victory, first time for the girls' team over your way, Newcastle. Mighty Knights. The Mighty Knights went 32-12 to over the Eels. uh, And it was, first of all, it's a tremendous effort from the Eels this early on in the NRLW um, tenure to go through. And then they scored that first try in the 12th minute where you just sort of thought, I didn't expect that. And for the Eels to actually win this one, they had to score first for sure, uh, and they did. And then all of a sudden you kind of thought, wow, are they going to just go on this roll on? Uh, and I was certainly well, thinking of watching it. They just got better and better every week, Eels, didn't they? We were talking about when they were playing Roosters in the, um, the prelim, the, the Eels just got better and better every week. So I was actually expecting a bit of a closer grand final than it turned out. But Yeah, I mean, they really did blow them away in the end. The 63rd, 67th, 69th minute. Um, three tries in a row within a couple of minutes of each other, really. It was um, the Knights blew it away at the end. It was quite tight until that point, uh, and it still could have swung. But I mean, at the same time as well, you know, and this is the Achilles heel for so many NRLW teams, and it's really something that you hope they work on. Um, the goal kicking again, you know, the Knights 32 to 12, but the Knights only kicked two of seven conversions as well. You know, and that's something that you see a bit. And Kiri Dibb's actually not too bad. So I sort of expected a bit more from those um, kicks. But in saying that, they kept scoring in the corners. And the girls do seem to struggle with those corner kicks a bit more. Um, but when we're talking about the Knights' performances, I mean, obviously, you get the customary Tamika Upton try. Jesse Southall was great too. But not on the try. Right, man. Oh, I was about to say, Millie Ball stats, mate. Let me just give this to you. Okay. 23 tackles, 28 hit ups. 109 post-contact metres, 271 metres gained in total. Phenomenal. 
But between her and Caitlin Johnson, the other front rower, who's a completely different style of front rower to Millie, they are just phenomenal. They lay the platform, and that's why the rest of the girls kill it to make her up to it. And, um, you know, Southwell at half, like, uh, but that is the, the front row, they're just phenomenal. That's like that's you're talking about trailblazers in NRLW and the girls that sort of oh. have set it up for professionalism and stuff for down the track. You know, we are what six years in or, or whatever in the NRLW, but that performance from Millie Boyle, she's the first Hall of Famer, surely. That's what it like, that, that is all. an all timer performance, like that is the type of performance that you're talking about in 20 years' time. Like to have 28 hit-ups for 271 metres, but 109 post-contact metres in a grand final. Like it's just an all-time performance. Um, you mentioned Tamika Upton too. She ended up scoring a try, but she had two line breaks too and just looked really dangerous, 181 metres gain for her. Um, we probably should mention from the Parramatta side, I, I thought Kennedy Cherrington was outstanding and I, I thought she had a really She's good She's a really good too. player. Yeah, and she's, like, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, but, like, she plays like an NRL forward. <laughs> like, you know, she like, she's got that level of um, professionalism and her, her body and athleticism. She's already there. It's almost like when we've spoken about Millie Boyle in, in prior podcasts where we said she's she's before her time, um, or she's ahead of her time, I should say, sorry, because she's already that elite athlete um, in a competition that's relatively young. Kennedy Charrington, you know, is very much that for Parramatta. 33 tackles, 14 hit-ups, 175 metres in a losing side. But she's been very consistent all year, and I thought that she was a bit of a standout for them. Yeah, she was good. She had a really good game. Well, it was a pretty good grand final. It was a fair while, but um, the nicest rain over them in the end. But I'm, I'm really looking forward to the see how the women's game goes next year with the 10 times and a bit more of a solid season because they've come so far in so little time. Yeah, they have. Um, and it was a, I'm glad that it was an entertaining grand final. And I, I thought it was. I thought it was a pretty good quality one. Um, and that's... I think that really helped, you know... It was a much better game than the New South Wales versus Queensland Cup. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, the girls, the girls' grand final really um, elevated grand final weekend. I'm not sure about that uh, New South Wales Cup game, but you know, we digress. Um, well done to the girls. Well done to the Knights for winning it. Uh, thoroughly deserved. Looking forward to seeing where they go to next year. Um, um, they've made great strides. Now, looking at uh, my spray of the week for this week. Uh, here we go. It's Barnsley Spray of the Week. It's becoming a favourite segment. It's really therapeutic for me. This is one really close <laughs> to my heart. This one is really close to my heart. And I'm, I've, I've got to say, like, I don't put it on, guys and girls. I'm absolutely filthy at the Spray of the Weeks when I do them, okay? I know and, where this is going too, isn't it? Uh, I am... Jeez. Absolutely livid. The New South Wales Rugby League uh, has decided to change the rules for Junior Rugby League in New South Wales where they are banning tackles until the end of the the seventh season and they're also not going to have competitive games until the age of 13 years old. You're going to be in high school before you actually get to play a semi-final and before you actually finish anywhere on the ladder allegedly like i don't know who i don't know in what universe 
this made sense to anybody, and I don't know what they're trying to achieve. Let's talk about the tackles first, Persa, okay? Honestly, I, I started playing footy when I was four, okay? The best part of starting early is because you can't hurt yourself and you learn good technique while you can't hurt yourself. You're talking about in the NRL, right, in the last oh, five-odd years, they're really worried about concussion and injuries. And why is that? One of the big reasons is because they have said players are getting bigger and faster. And when you have bigger players running faster at that speed, at that power, you get really big collisions. And that's when you get really bad injuries. Okay. You've got doctors saying that with the NRL and the NRL worried about it. The same applies when you're four five and six year olds. There is no big collisions because there is no power. There is no speed. They're going at the speed of an ant, so you can't generate any power. Their bodies aren't big, muscly frames that are going to hurt anyone. They're actually at the perfect point to have some rough and tumble. And these kids are playing over in parks near slippery dips and they're playing in backyards with their brothers and sisters tackling each other. But to actually play the game of rugby league, no, you're not allowed to do that. Don't tackle each other. So effectively what they've done per so is from when you're four to seven years old, they've said, mm-hmm. we're going to play rugby league with tags. There's already a game for that. It's called Oztac. You don't get baseball players saying we're going to play softball for the first three years to play baseball. It is absolutely moronic. And I don't understand what they think it's going to achieve. And when you're talking about winning and losing, the best life lessons that you can learn are when you have to go through losing and when you have to go through winning. They are big life lessons. And the best time to start to learn those is when you're a kid. When you're a teenager, you've lost a lot of opportunity to learn some of that stuff early on. And you're going to get a lot of teenagers now that aren't going to be able to deal with it. And I know that people will say, I'm going to run off in a tangent here. I wouldn't be surprised if you end up with more brawls, more punch-ons and things when you're 13, 14, 15 years old, because teams are going to start to get the shits when they've got all those emotions and everything running high when you're going through puberty, that all of a sudden they're they're losing their first games or they've got to deal with coming last for the first time. Like how frustrating is it going to be when all of a sudden you see a scoreboard and you go, shit, I'm losing 70 nil. And you actually understand that at that point. Like, it is an absolute farce. And then the last thing I'll say with the players not competing until then, it's a lot of them know anyway. Like, a lot of these clubs in the junior leagues are going to put up ladders. And you bloody well know when you play a game of sport whether you've won or lost. Everybody knows that. So how are you trying to protect anyone? Like, it's all it is doing is taking the rugby league out of rugby league and it's taking the fun out of it for kids. Kids want to go and play rugby league. Why are you taking the fun out of it? It, it doesn't make any sense, per so other than the, the standard response from New South Wales Rugby League that's supported by the NRL that is, we want to get higher participation and, and encourage kids to play rugby league and stick around, okay? You're never going to get 100% participation. I don't know what they're aiming for. If they're aiming for soccer mums to put their soccer kids in there, great. They'll be in there for three years and then they'll stop when they have to tackle and then they'll go play Oztag anyway if that's the reason that they're not putting them in. You know, it just it is an absolute farce. It is ridiculous and it is ruining the game for kids in New South Wales. It's fucking disgraceful. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll go, oh, you, you've got your rant. I'll go on. It is just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, oh. Well, yeah, I'm like 11 now. He's been playing footy since under six for the last six years. I've played for him my whole fucking life. Um, his mates that he goes to school with, he goes to school and there's only him. He's the only player 
out of four classes in his year that plays footy. The rest play the soccer or do fuck all or whatever else, but the other ones that play soccer, they've been winning grand finals since under sevens in soccer. You know, like the kids don't... Like, uh, I've been involved in coaching the team and everything else. You watch... The boys know when they've lost or not. They, they watch, they know. Like, they get down to the last minute from about under eights onwards. They don't... Like, why do we not have competitiveness in that? As for the tackling side of it, it is the most absurd thing I've ever seen in my life. They're made of rubber at six years old. You need to teach them how to tackle the right techniques as young as you can. <laughs> it's just, it goes against every, I just don't get it. And it will not get more people playing the game. It will certainly not do it. it it's, uh, I hate it. I absolutely hate it. I'm, I'm filthy with it. I can't stand it. <laughs> it's a massive rant from me. It's just absurd. It's, it's another joke. And I don't know what they're aiming for. Um, as a parent myself, you know, I have to say too, as a parent myself, you know, it's it's half price to go and register your kid for Oztag than what is rugby league. So why wouldn't you just do that for the first three years? Like, seriously, oh, it's, it, it's just it, it takes everything away. And like I, I went through. I don't see what it achieves, Barnsley. I just don't see what it achieves. You get a group in under sixes. You, the, the first thing you teach kids in under sixes is tackling, and they're made of rubber. They can't no, hurt each other. It's such an important yeah, technique to learn early. It is so important. And you've got... hundred percent. The longer you well, leave you've, it, you've got people the harder saying it is to learn. The original plan, Perso, was to wait until you're a teenager to tackle. Could you oh imagine God, waiting until you start high school when people are going through puberty? Like, you have kids that go through puberty in year six and stuff. And you've never, and you've never learned how to tackle. tackle and you're going to go like hit up a kid that's already ripped with muscles and stuff and hitting the gym when he's yeah. 13. It is so backwards, Barnsley. This is so backwards. Uh, it's, uh, it, I, I've got to try and restrain myself a little bit, but <laughs> I can't believe that, that more people aren't blowing up about it. Like everyone I talk to that I'm involved with at local footy clubs, so it's just, it's ridiculous. This is not going to get more people playing the game. No, and like, uh, it doesn't achieve anything. How I think it's the biggest thing. Like, oh, it's. Ridiculous. It really should have garnered but a look, lot more attention than what it did. And one of the things, like I say, it takes the fun out of it and the joy out of it for kids. I'll, I'll give you a real specific example. You know, there's a lot of kids, especially when they're young, like at four, five, six, seven years old, that especially the introverted kids that are playing for the first time, some of them aren't very good with the ball. You know, I played in a team when I first started where the coach's son was in the team and he got the ball every second time. I didn't even get to touch the ball more than a couple of times. So what did I do to have fun? Like, what did I try and get good at? I, I was really good. At, I, I thought I was really good at tackling when I was a youngster, you know, and I tackled. That was what I did. And there's plenty of kids that are really good defensive players, but they just aren't very good runners of the ball and they don't enjoy that as much. You're going to take half of the game of rugby league away, you know, and that's that'll turn kids away, you know, because, like, I, again, like, I don't want to go and rip someone's tag off when I'm six right. years old. I want to go and tackle someone, and that was what I was good at. You're going to take that away from me the now. Most, the most fundamental part of our game, NRL, of footy, rugby league, is tackling. The earlier you learn how to tackle, where to get your head in the right spot, all that sort of stuff, is just... The earlier you learn it, it just comes second nature. It just blows me away that I want to, like, what? How many kids in under sixes are getting injured? 
you're not getting you get hardly anyone that has serious injuries. You don't need to have oh, surgery or fucking, anything when you're five it, and six years old. It blows stuff. my mind away. It, it, I just can't believe how they've come up with it and where they come up with it and they think this is going to improve the game and get more people to sign up and play it. It's just not. I've not happen. seen one person with a positive comment about it. Not one. But we need to move on. I'm going to keep spraying this until everybody starts spraying it, though, because everybody needs to spray <laughs> New South Wales Junior League and the NRL for supporting uh, it. I'm a massive sprayer of it. Uh, get all over, get all <laughs> over everything, everything. Go and get a social media, but go get placards and stand on the Harbour Bridge with it. It's absolutely it's ridiculous. Uh, look, there is a couple of real spicy topics that have come up in the last week or two, and none more bizarrely spicy than the Ryan Madison fine fiasco. So Ryan Madison, for those that didn't see, uh, could have copped a three-month suspension, a three-week suspension, or taken a four thousand dollars fine. And he opted to take the four thousand dollars fine. And everybody was looking for, oh, there must be a loophole or something. Maybe he can do it in trials, but they changed that rule. No, he he's going to be out for the first three rounds of Parramatta season next year. He was asked about it, um, and I actually have to say, like, I agree with a lot of what he said. He's basically come out to paraphrase Ryan Madison it was and, said, wasn't it? and said it's on principle. He said that I keep getting players keep getting fined for insignificant rugby league things that can't be helped. And why should I keep paying my money because I'm playing rugby league? And he's a hundred percent spot on. You know, these these things that they get fined for are so stupid. And it used to be that penalty was sufficient. Now what the fine system was supposed to do, it was supposed to come in per so and stop players from missing games and giving them a fine instead. And what has ended up happening is the NRL has gone fine happy and just started fining players for things that they would never really suspend anyone for. So I 100% agree with Ryan Madison's statements and things. He's 100% right. The fine system is ridiculous. Players shouldn't be getting fined. There is no reason for these fines that are coming in. And I say that for like the lower end stuff that they're getting fined for. Ryan Madison shouldn't have got fined for that. It's a penalty, whatever, move on. But in saying that, the thing that I don't agree with with Madison, he could have made this stance. He could have died on this hill. He could have had a big go at the NRL like he has and called out the fine stuff and the RLPA could have taken notice and everything else while he was paying his $4,000 fine for hopefully the last time. Like, he still could have come out with all this and said, on principle, I don't want to pay this. I'm not going to pay another one, but I'll pay this one. This is the last time. That's what I would have done. But obviously, he's copped a lot of heat for the hill that he's decided to die on because he's out for three games, and I completely understand that. But I also understand where he's coming from. Yeah, it was a strange one. <laughs> it's it's a fair stance. So he's, he's ruled himself out for the first couple of rounds of next year. I don't know how Paramount might feel about that, but um, got uh, I know exactly where he's coming from. It's probably a, a good stance. It'd be good if a few more players would do it because, geez, the um, the suspension judicial system is just an absolute farce. I mean, like put yourself in a Madison's shoes, for instance, or just a player's shoes. Um, everyone looks at these fines, you know, a thousand, two thousand, four thousand. These guys are on big bucks and stuff. What about the blokes that aren't? What about the blokes that are on, you know? 100 grand a year, and they're going to cop 18 grand a year in fines. Like, I think people at home should think about themselves well, if you're those what, guys. What about Nelson, Nelson Sava Solomana, who got fined six weeks in yeah. a row? 
and lots it, of it, it doesn't matter how much money you're earning as a footballer. Like <laughs> you can be on half a million dollars a year, but if you're losing forty grand for no reason, you're going to be annoyed about it. So you know, it's still it's still a lot of money that these guys can accumulate. Jared Oweir Hargraves, he could have basically solved world hunger at this point. Well, that's what I was talking about with Nash. He could have as well. Never got suspended, but just every second week was getting a $3,000 fine. It's just the whole system is shagged, really shagged. The, the one thing I'll do to defend Ryan Madison in this, because he has copped a lot, and I agree that he should have you know, not missed the three games and he should have just got out there. But uh, one thing I'll support him on is he's 100% spot on and somebody needed to call out the NRL, and I'm glad that a player has. Um I've got no problem no, with his he, He's 100% spot on. And, and I have to, and I do appreciate where he's coming from. Des Hasler, just this afternoon, oh, has right. been sensationally sacked by Manly. Had a year to go. Um, this has got a podcast in itself. It is. We're going to try and keep it to five minutes. Um, I almost don't know how to feel about this person. So I, I need your guidance on this one. You're going to have to be my wingman oh. for Des here because. I think Des Hasler is a very good coach. I like Des Hasler a lot. I'd like him at my club. But at the same time, he's obviously a bit of a tougher coach to deal with by some people in an organisation. And he's basically, whoever's fault it was is irrelevant. Des Hasler and the rest of the Manly organisation have burnt their bridges with each other and none of them, uh, it's untenable basically, that he stays. So they had to make the call that he goes, and it kind of makes sense. But at the same time, I think he's a good coach. Is it the right Anthony Seabold, I don't see them improving oh. under. So I understand that Des isn't going to work anymore because they've both put themselves in these corners, and I think that Des has some responsibility in this where they just can't work with each other anymore. But your next option is probably going to be worse. So it's going to be a very interesting 12 months here. Um, I do wonder where Des is going to go from here. I made the case that he's coached for a long time. I would be taking 12 months off and just getting on the cans and just jumping on media interviews. I reckon that that could be therapeutic for Des. And I think that he probably needs the rest. He, he's yeah. obviously got no time on his hands. He can never yeah. have a haircut, so maybe he can fit that in. He could, he could, he could end up at the Titans and the Knights or the Dragons. <laughs> Quite, I reckon there'll be another three or four catches sack next year. But does he... But, um... It's very, very interesting what happens at Manly. And like, there's more repercussions than just that. Um, there's a lot of unrest there. Yeah, there is. And, you know, in a way, like when you've got that much unrest, one of the things that a lot of clubs do, and you see this in America, in American sports a lot especially, they just blow it up. And they just say, we're just going to get rid of everyone. We're just going to go nuclear. And they do it. You know, the whole coaching staff, they get rid of their two superstars well, and they just start all over again. But in Australia, you can't tank for draft picks. So it's a little bit different. Peter lives in LA, doesn't he? New York, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think he's, he's um, angle is he wants to get rid of this Manly Boys mm-hmm. Club to move the, 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 uh, the team into the future, which may well be the way to go, but it's going to be a hard road to do it. Yeah, very interesting 12 months. Um, I said that I think that Dez's best fit is going to be the Dragons at this point. I don't think it's too far away for him to go. Uh, He'd be great. I think he'd fit in quite well. Uh, And I do. I I would also really get behind. Like someone started GoFundMe for Dez to not coach and just to rip in completely unleashed on media panels. Like get him in the media 
Get him on oh, he, he's, He'd be so unhinged <laughs> at times, and he's got nothing holding him back. He's got no affiliation with the club anymore. It'd be great. Like I, I, I'd be all over that. But I do think he's going to get another coaching job. I, I think it's a. I think he's going to do well to take a year off though, and just see the lay of the land at the end of next season. Uh, he'd be the most demanded coach if he, he, he's punted from uh, Manly now. He has a season now. Next year, he'd be the most. Everyone would be linking. He'd be linked with every club that's struggling from north downwards. Well, I think that some clubs too will be saying to themselves, are we going to have a crack at the Trevojevic brothers if we can get Desi over? You know, who... Well, that's the, that's, that's the other tale from there. Like They're heavily salary capped to three players, the Turbo brothers and DCD. So, and with the gone, oh, anything, it merely could imply completely. I will be running... This to topsport.com.au and betting on Manly to miss the eight as soon as the market is up. Oh, can you get on the spoon? A fair chance. You can get on the spoon. And I reckon that is, you know, when you're talking about value odds, it is a fair chance. So it, it it's a great segue. I do need to mention the fantastic sponsor of the All-Stars podcast in Top Sport. They've been around for years now. And I really appreciate our partnership together. Topsport.com.au are a fantastic bookmaker that's 100% Australian-owned. And they often have best odds in market, and they've got some great exotic stuff too. We've got the World Cup, which we're about to talk about. If you have a look on Topsport.com, World Cup, you want to talk about some value? I know people are writing off this English team, and with good reason. Um, I can't believe how short Australia is. Australia's $1.50, right? And this is playing in the UK. And we have England at $16 on top sport. Now, I know that some people love New Zealand. They're at $3.80. I understand the New Zealand love, but they will have to go through Australia, and I don't see that. Whereas if you get an English side... My tip for the final, my tip for the final Barnsley, is Australia and England because Australia and New Zealand are playing. Yeah, so I, I'm, I can get around that. And you know what? Like Australia, they're not unchokable, especially with the team that we've got. Um, so, you know, I I can get around that. So topsport.com.au, go get on there because $16 for England is a bargain to win this World Cup. And they've got great odds on all other sports as well. The hockey's just started today. We've got the baseball playoffs as well. And the basketball, one of my favourites, only a week away now from tip-off. So get on topsport.com.au or download the app. But when you do, use the promo code SCALLSTARS, all one word, and they'll take great care of you because they'll see that you're coming from this podcast. So topsport.com.au, go get on today. The World Cup, per se, um, first of all, the Australian team. I think it's a good team. I don't think it's one of our, one of our best teams. Um, my biggest beef with it was certainly Nico Hines not being there. And then people say, well, you know, who's he going to be in there for? Well, I mean, you've got Whiten and Burton, and then people say, well, they've got great utility value. Yeah, do they really? Um, I mean, yeah, sure, but... Neither of them have played as many games as a bench utility as what Nico Hines has. Neither of them... Hines had to be there. People all of a sudden forgotten that Hines was a bench utility at Melbourne. For years. Hammond played in the middle. <laughs> Playing 13. Well, he, he, started, well, he started semi-final games at centre for them. He's got... Exactly. He's got more utility value than any of them. Like, and he's just come off a career season. Yeah. It's a travesty that Hines isn't that sort. Look, I understand if they want to go with, like, you say, look, you know, you need to go with someone like Burton because, of you know, he's played centre for New South Wales and everything. Okay. But you don't need to do that with Whiten as well then, right? 
And and the big thing that people miss with this stuff is a lot of it's experience because Australia is going to have their top 17. They're going to have some warm-up games, some games against some lower opposition. Exactly. But you start someone like Nico Hines, who in reality, I would much rather be giving him game time than DCE because Nico's going to be seven pretty soon and DCE is going to be out pretty soon. So you may yeah. as well bring along Nico and give him some game time and some reps. And heaven forbid we get injuries, but if we do, Nico Hines I'd much rather on the bench as a uh, utility. I was wasn't too aggressively annoyed with to me the selections of that side, but Heinz not being in there is just ridiculous. He had to I be do. in that side. Um, a, a couple that, look, I understand. I'm not going to have a massive go at, but I do think that Hudson Young and Lane won spots on merit. And, you know, then people say, well, you know, who do you have out? Well, they went from that all, I suppose. So. Yeah, and look, then I had a great rookie season, but you know, I just, I think that... I do think that Lane and Hudson Young had better seasons and they are obviously more tenured as well. Um, but then the other one as well, Liam Martin's there. He'll probably start on an edge. I thought Liam Martin had a worse season this year than he did last year. He played really good in the grand final, but really he, he wasn't great this year. Um, and I, certain, I I think that Lane and Hudson Young were twice as good as him this year. And they oh, were, the, fo- Lane, Lane they were was, the four guys. Lane, Lane should have been in the team. Um, other than that, the other big one per so is um, Mal Meninga still playing silly buggers and saying that DCE is, is possibly the front runner for the seven jerseys still. They're going to have to earn it. It won't surprise me if he picks yeah, it. If he does. Like, it really I, I made won't. a comment online and, and you know, thankfully a lot of people agreed, but I was surprised with the amount that didn't. I made the comment online that Mal Meninga should be sacked as the Australian coach if he starts DCE in our big games as a seven and benches Cleary. Like, because that's just... It is just ridiculous. It gets to the point where, you know, instead of Tedesco at fullback, they roll out Matty Person. You know, that's how ridiculous yeah. it is. Where you just go, hang on. There's oh, I, I get, I get that he says DC is the incumbent, but that was two years ago before it, COVID. It, we haven't, I haven't played for three years. <laughs> exactly. Cleary is just out and out the best halfback Australia. He's has. one of the best players in the world. Like you can argue he's, Teddy's better, or you can whoever, argue that he is the best player in the world. He's the best player in the world, and I know DC had a good Origin series, mate. He had a terrible <laughs> final like, third. His last ten games, hundred percent, he bloody did. awful, hundred percent, bloody he did. awful, hundred percent. Manly's issues were as much to do with DC's leadership and his performances, especially that last two months, as anything else. Yeah, especially after the the rainbow incident and. <laughs> It's got to be Cleary. Uh, Mal really needs to step his loyalty, get his little thing out of his head and just go, it's got to be Cleary. It has to be Cleary. Has to be it's, Cleary. Just, it's just ridiculous. It's just become ridiculous. If Mal Meninga is going to do that, you really have to question whether he's picking Queensland sides. Um, and people say origin, you know, matters. Look, it doesn't because that's a three-game series and Cleary's just played 30 NRL games to win back-to-back premierships, Okay. You're talking about a large degree of form there. Origin, it's never just based about, on an origin series. talking about splitting hairs. If you're talking about splitting hairs, it might, might have mattered. If they were even and even yeah. at the time, yeah, maybe the origin performance might have mattered. But from there on... Yeah, when you've got a guy in the NRL season, like, and by the way, the Australian team's picked from the NRL competition. Did anyone watch like, it? You've got a side that's dominated and Cleary's been the best player in it. And for 30 games, including the grand final, he's just killed DCE. But then you want to go off a oh, three-game Origin Series, which, by the way, 
Game two, Cleary's performance is better than DC has ever produced in a Maroons jersey, as far as I'm concerned. The whole final series, Barnsley. Cleary had five weeks to sit out after his suspension. And he just, that whole, he owned that final series. He did. And look, he, I was very critical of him in game one um, of the Origin series. But game two more than made up for it. And game two was better than anything oh, that DC did for that three-game Origin series. And I don't even know why we're talking about Origin. It's about much more than that when you're picking the Australian team, right? Well, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Especially, you're surely looking at the future by now. Look, let's... It's clear his time. It's clear his time to be the halfback. It, it is. And DC, if anything, like he played his way out. But we'll finish off by saying incumbency. Okay, Damien Cook has a right to be very upset because Damien Cook's an incumbent. Where's Tarek Sims? I don't even know whether he's playing A-grade or where Tarek Sims is, but he was the Australian forward back in the day three years ago when we last played. Maybe we should say that he's hard done by because he's not even in the bloody squad. Incumbency at this point does not make any difference at all. Let's move along. We're going to finish off the podcast with... Um, oh, sorry. First of all, you know, your, your pick was England and Australia. Do you think that Australia is going to win it? Uh, Australia and New Zealand. Whoever wins that semi-final of Australia and New Zealand yep. will win. I agree. Um, I think that Australia is going to get through. New Zealand has a damn good sword. But it's probably the best sword they've had in a long oh. time. But when I say that, the most well-balanced sword they've had. Looking forward for to see what time. Manu does. He's only 25, hitting the World Cup, fullback. Yeah, that'll be the key. I, I, I still think Australia's spine is better than anyone else's in the world by a long way. I'm really looking forward to it, though, because all these other teams like Samoa and Tonga, really competitive. Oh, massive. It, they can beat anyone on the day. This is the thing. There's five teams in this World Cup that are a genuine chance of winning it. On the t- like Samoa, Tonga, England, Australia, and New mm. Zealand. And pe- any, any, all of those guys' sides could win. And people have to remember how spoiled we are at the moment because we didn't used to have this type of uh, quality in the World Cup. One of the good things about players playing for other countries when, they're el- when they were eligible for Australia is it, it makes it so much more interesting because, you know, Victor Radley, you know, going and playing for another country. Mitchell Moses playing for... What about that call? Yeah, a huge call because it's put him out of origin now. But that that's great and for the World Cup. And you've got these really good quality NRL players, not just these fringe guys that are actually in the lower tier teams as well. So all those teams, you could say they've got a puncher's chance probably against those bottom five teams. Um, they're still probably going to struggle to win, but it's going to be a lot more competitive. Whereas, you know, you look 20 years back, Perso, when me and you were growing up, it was very, very difficult to get competitive games with some of those teams because they just didn't have the quality, did they? You had like all these reserve graders and that was about it that were making up the numbers. Oh, it's a token thing. <laughs> That's a token thing. Australia, New Zealand and England. No, it's, going, it's going to be great. Can't wait. Footy in November. How good. All right. Let's move along to the, the Legend Rewind. Uh, Last one of this season. We'll bring it back next year. Laurie Daly. He was one of my first favourite um, players, group of favourite players when I was growing up. Um, probably my favourite to start with, I've said before, when I was a little kid was Andrew Eddinghausen. But, but Laurie Daly was right up there. Um, and he's he was signed by Don Ferner in 86 because he saw him playing first grade at Juni and he was only 16 years old. 
<laughs> they threw him into the, the Raiders jersey flag side. And the end of the year, he's on the Raiders bench in the grand final. And he never played reserve grade again um, for his whole career. And in 89, you know, at which point he's, what, 19 years old, he broke into the New South Wales team as a centre. So everybody remembers Laurie Daly as this phenomenal all-time 5'8", and he was. But that's one of the things that people forget. He actually started as a centre, and he actually played 5'8 after that as well. But he even slotted in at 13 at times. He was very versatile, and he was good at everything for me. Like, he was one of those complete players um, where... He could run really well. Uh, he, he had speed. He was elusive. But then he had all these great balls as well and the playmaking you expect from a half. But one of the big things that people forget, and every now and then you get a glimpse of it when you see an old clip from Origin or something, he used to belt blokes and take these massive hit-ups at times. Oh. And you were like, wow, that was Laurie Daly. You know? <laughs> he was just such a complete player. It was phenomenal, Daly. <laughs> he really was. He's one of the forgotten immortals of it. You talk about these conversations of the time. Daly was so good. So good. Like, I, as a Tigers fan, I hated it because we got beaten in the grand final a couple of years in a row with him. But you watch every state of origin, Daly was one of your favourite players. He was just so good. He was just off the cuff. He was a running 5 but his silky skills as well. He's a player sort of before his time, a fair bit, Daly. Yeah, he was. Um, and especially in an era like just coming out of sort of the more amateur type era before it was going like full professional. Yeah, he was just a full-time running 5'8". But that that Canberra side though, like one of the things is that they were... Ugh. When you had Stewart at halfback. What a phenomenal side. Like we talked about Ricky Stewart, we talked about Brad Clyde, we talked about Lazarus, we've obviously talked about Meninga. Um, they had some other great players. Brett Mullins is another big one. Yeah, there was a star-studded side, and I think a lot of the right. time when people look back at that side and how successful they were getting the grand finals and winning grand final, that they um, everyone thinks about Mal Meninga. I con- a bit controversially for some people, Mal Meninga is obviously a legend and also an immortal. I would argue that Laurie Daly was more important to that side than Mal Meninga was. He was. Meninga was past his best football at mm. that stage. Still an integral part of the side, but Daly was, oh, it was phenomenal. Having a look at the daily numbers as well, um, and this is when you really start to go, wow. Um, so Laurie Daly, obviously Rugby League Hall of Fame, premierships in 89, 90. So he had that back-to-back club that he was in, 89 and 90. And then he won again in 94. Um, two kangaroo tours, Captain Australia twice, which a lot of people forget. 95, which isn't even the year that the Raiders got a premiership, he won the Dalian medal. And he also got 5 of the year in 95 and 96, which was past the Raiders' window. Uh, so that tells you how good he was going. Uh, 120 100%. tries in 330 first-class games. That is a phenomenal strike rate and 586 points. Shows what a great and brilliant try scorer he was, but really he could do everything. Those numbers, you know, and also the fact that he just stuck to Canberra, you know. Canberra... He had 87 tries, 244 games. You know, that was just phenomenal at that time and also how he played the game. Um, and, you know, I love that he was playing at the Junior Diesels where he just got spotted as a 16-year-old and that's how he found one of the and greats of the game as well. If you listen to any interviews with him too, he had multiple opportunities to leave. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He got offered yeah. way overs to leave and he still stayed as a one-club yeah, man. Yeah. And if he includes a Super League try series, he had 26 origin games. 
uh, as well, where he scored six tries himself too. He is some kind of player. He stepped up for those big games. And I used to love love him on the Kangaroo Tours as well. You know, those yeah, 21 tests for Australia, five Super League tests, and then eight touring matches for Australia as well. So pretty pretty fair caps in the representative ranks. And it was also a time too where City Country was a big thing. And he was a really proud country origin player where he played seven country origins, scored three tries. Always just still was a big thing. I used to love City Country. Yeah, I did as well when it was done properly. Um, and, you know, Daly was very mm. proud that he's from uh, Juni. And... Yeah, back in the 90s when it was done properly and it wasn't just a selection for New South Wales. Mm. Not when it went back in the early 2000s when it was like reserve graders playing it. But anyway. Well, officially known as Loza, um, 94th inductee into the Rugby League Hall of Fame. Um, I think that he's... Look, I, I actually, I put Fittler ahead of him. And I think that Fittler should be an immortal. And I think that Daly's just behind Fittler. But and yeah. I, and I'd probably say him and Lockie are probably neck and neck. Oh, Daly's a forgotten man in those. It is, and I sure. always think of Fittler, Lockie, and, and Daly together. Which is fair, pretty much on par, I reckon, from what I've seen. But Daly always gets left out of those conversations for whatever reason. But. Jeez, he was good for He's one of my favourites, Perso. Um, if only I got him to the Roosters in the 90s when we were struggling, although we did get <laughs> Freddie. You got him to the Tigers after your grand final days in the late 80s. But... I don't want to add anyone at the Tigers <laughs> after the 80s. <laughs> well, look, that's a great one to finish on. Laurie Daly, one of my favourite players of all time. Um, go and watch some clips of Laurie Daly in his peak in the 90s. Laurie Daly between 90 and about 96. Yeah. Just when he chose to run and when he chose to look at some, Yeah, look at some of his hits too, mate. Do you, do you remember some oh. of those hits? In the Origin Series especially, oh, yeah. like he would pick out front rowers and just annihilate whack blacks. He's like Wally Lewis. Wally Lewis had a massive shoulder on him as well. He had a lot of big hits too. But, yeah, Daly's defence is just as good as his attack. Phenomenal. Well, that, that is the final podcast of the 2022 season. Like I said, we will be back for the 2023 season, possibly in December. So stay tuned. Make sure you hit subscribe and everything, and you'll get alerted when the new podcasts come out. But certainly on iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, Spotify, Amazon, Audible, we are everywhere. Perso, thank you for jumping onto the last podcast of the 2022 season, though I am sure, despite being a struggling Tigers fan, I'll get you back on next season. <laughs> nah, it's always good talk footy with you, Bargy. Awesome. Thanks, mate. Well, aside from uh, downloading the podcast, the other thing that you can do is if you like to have a punt responsibly, go and check out topspot.com.au and use the promo code SC All Stars and follow us on Twitter too. You'll find out when new podcasts are dropping. NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars is the Twitter handle to follow. Enjoy the World Cup, everyone. Enjoy the off season. Enjoy the relax. Enjoy all the spiciness that is the rugby league off season. Can't wait to chat to everyone again in a couple of months. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play.